Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Listeners, welcome back to Buried Motives. We're so glad that you're joining us. And we're thankful that you keep coming back to listen to more. Speaking of being thankful, this weekend coming up is Thanksgiving. It is here in Canada, and we love a good Thanksgiving celebration. Absolutely. There's so much good food. Mm -hmm. It's all about the food when it comes to Thanksgiving. So is your case all about the food? (laughs) (laughs) No, unfortunately, this case might make you lose your appetite, to be honest. Oh, is it a gruesome one? It's very gruesome. Thanks for the heads up, Christy. (laughs) Yeah, I do put a little disclaimer in here, but I do focus a lot on the details of this case, which is pretty gnarly. Fair warning then. For sure. This case does take place over Thanksgiving weekend. But our dirtbag, as the title indicates, is anything but thankful. Oh, is he an entitled dirtbag? He is the epitome of entitlement. Oh, that is one of the characteristics that really just irks me. Me too. We ain't got time for that. Take your entitled little self somewhere else. It's really important to be grateful. It is. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, not everybody can see the good around them and show gratitude for the things that they have been blessed with in life. So was he blessed? He absolutely was. Let's get into it and I can explain a little more. But first of all, I do want to ask, and I'm sure you'll have the right answer for me, but when we examine a killer dirtbag, what is that one common thing that most of them experience as a child? Abuse. Yeah, abuse of some sort. Ironically, the man-child that we will be discussing today experienced the opposite of that. He was so well taken care of that he became so spoiled rotten that he was willing to kill to ensure his entitlement continued. That's just the kind of dirtbag that grates on my nerves. Today's double homicide took place over a Thanksgiving weekend, but the monster who killed them was anything but grateful. Because our killer had a good upbringing and home life, there isn't a lot to report about his childhood. His despicable motive for murder was greed and laziness. Isn't it funny how those two go hand in hand, greed and entitlement? Absolutely, they do. In fact, he was so lazy that he gave up halfway through even trying to conceal his abominable actions. (laughs) He had never learned any work ethic? No, he never had a job in his entire life. Oh. How old is he then at the time of the murder? He's 28. Oh, he should have totally had a job by that point. Yeah. So what was he doing? Well, I'm going to let you know. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. That's it. We're done. (laughs) So are you ready to get irked a little bit more about this man's entitlement? Yes. Okay, let's get into it. Joel Michael Guy Jr. was born on March 13, 1988. He grew up in a nice house at 11434 Golden View Lane in West Knox, Tennessee, the house that he would eventually murder his own parents in. He didn't even have the trauma for moving from his original house? Like he lived his whole life in one house. He grew up there. I'm not sure if he was born in a different house, but... This is where he spent the majority of his childhood, yes. Yeah, so he didn't, like, move around and had to constantly meet new people. Nope, total stable upbringing. Hmm. He has this upbringing that other kids would have been envious of. As you may have gathered, Joel's father was also named Joel Michael Guy, and so everyone called Joel Jr. Joel Michael to avoid confusion. For simplicity, I will refer to Joel Jr. just as Joel and refer to his father as Joel Sr., Joel Sr. was born on February 10, 1955. He was 33 years old when his son was born. Joel's mother, Lisa Madeer Guy, was born on August 6, 1961, making her 26 when she gave birth to Joel. Our crime takes place in 2016. At this point, Joel Sr. and Lisa had been married for 31 years. They had a wonderful marriage and others described them as true soulmates. So no skeletons in the closet came out after their deaths? Like it was this match made in heaven. It was a match made in heaven. They had a good marriage. There's no domestic violence or alcoholism or any kind of troubled home life for Joel as he's growing up. Wow. He's got two loving parents who love him and love each other, which can be rare nowadays. (laughs) That is a feat sometimes. It's a real accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Joel Sr. had three daughters prior to him and Lisa getting married. 
but Lisa fell in love with them as well when she married their dad. Joel was born after they were married and was the only child that they had together. Reportedly, Lisa and her stepdaughters had great relationships, and the girls really grew to love their stepmom. That's not how the fairy tale goes, Christy. There's no evil stepmother in this. It's a picture-perfect family. Hmm. Joel Sr. and Lisa were living their best lives. They had the house to themselves and were making plans to retire. They had a dog named Jake, whom they adored, and they loved spending time as a family, especially with their grandchildren. The loving couple were described as being compassionate, kind-hearted, and both having great senses of humor. They spent a lot of time doing things together and really enjoyed doing things outdoors and on the water. Joel Sr. was a pipeline engineering designer. Lisa had stayed at home to raise the four children and then worked as an accounts payable administrator. Lisa and Joel Sr. were excited to be starting the next chapter of their lives. They were ages 61 and 55 at the time of the murders and were getting ready to retire. That just sucks. I know. This is so unfortunate. Because you look so forward to retirement. Like, that is when we are going to live it up. And they're younger to retire, 61 and 55. They still have a lot of good years ahead of them to spend with one another. And they were active and in good shape to be able to do that. That just makes it that much more tragic. It really does. As I mentioned, the couple were already empty nesters. All their children had moved away from home. The girls were all doing well and making lives for themselves. Joel graduated from Hanville High School and then spent nine years going to various universities. Joel apparently was studying to become a plastic surgeon, but then after nine years of mom and dad paying for his education, he decided to just drop out without a completed degree. Oh, no. And his education was not the only thing they were paying for. Joel was 28 years old and had never had a job in his life. His parents paid for everything. They paid for his apartment in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and gave him money for all of his expenses. I would have never stopped any schooling if somebody was footing the bill and just let me be a professional student full time. Right. But after nine years, he still hadn't even completed a degree. Which is insane. It is. He's living the life then, though. Totally. Mm -hmm. Joel was described as socially awkward, and after dropping out of university, he spent a lot of his time just hanging around his apartment playing video games. And I thought, mm, what a catch. The girls were knocking down the door for him. <laughs> I actually wrote, insert puke emoji. <laughs> Joel was a loner, even at family functions. His one stepsister later said that he barely knew her kids' names. Joel was only interested in himself. He was a freeloading hermit. So was he like a social recluse that didn't like to be around anybody at all? Like, did he have social anxiety or anything like that? There was no reports of official anxiety being diagnosed for him, but he did like to just keep to himself. Well, it's so much more fun to play video games than to have to interact and hold a conversation with somebody else. Yeah, especially when mommy and daddy are paying for all of your bills. You can just sit on your butt and play video games all day. That's awful. Especially at 28. We're not talking about a 14-year-old boy here. And if you're that removed from other people, then you can see how he wouldn't have any empathy or compassion or be able to see other people as human beings. Right. right? He's not developing those relationships. Yeah. They're just means to ends for him. So mm -hmm. what does it matter if I kill anybody? Because my life is all that matters. Yeah. And with what he does, he probably did share some of those views for sure. Despite all this, Lisa doted on her son. Even though he was moved out, his room remained untouched, with all his things as he had left them. Reportedly, the only reason that Lisa had gone back to work was just to pay for all of her son's bills and expenses. She would go to work and then basically just hand her paycheck over to her son. And I just, that made me so angry. I thought, what a lazy little weasel letting his mother, who was in her 50s, work at a job just so he could sit on his butt as he's approaching his 30s and has zero responsibilities. Yeah. That is just awful. That left a really bad taste in my mouth. What a little dirtbag. Yeah. To sit back and watch your mom slog away while you're perfectly capable of doing something for yourself. Yeah. At that time, you could be the one out working to try and help your mom, mm -hmm. who has always given you everything you ever needed. As they prepared for retirement, Joel's parents realized that they needed to stop supporting their son financially. It was time for him to provide for himself. It's about time. Yeah, rightfully so. Allegedly, Joel Sr. had wanted to cut Joel off financially much earlier, but Lisa couldn't bring herself to do it. They decided that they were going to give him until Christmas to start supporting himself. 
always a hard decision, right? You always want to look after your kids and give them the best possible start. But sometimes that line gets so blurred when they take advantage of it. For sure. And sometimes teaching your kids to do it for themselves is giving them that best possible start. Sometimes that's hard to see in real time, though. For sure. Because you're trying to be kind. You're trying to do what you think is right. And if he was going to school to become a plastic surgeon, they're trying to support him to achieve his dreams. But he was not achieving anything over there. There was no accountability, it sounds like, on his side. No. And he had just given up. He had dropped out of school. And that's always a bad scenario when people are just being given something with no accountability. Right. Then they don't appreciate it. They don't learn to be grateful for the things that they have because they've never had to work for them. Mm -hmm. Can you tell we're a couple of moms (laughs) as we're discussing this? Tough love. Sometimes. The couple were selling their home where they had raised their kids and were planning on moving to Sergoinsville, which is in the upper east part of Tennessee. Joel Sr. had inherited the family home there, and it was the perfect, quaint little place for them to enjoy their golden years. Aw, just a place where all their grandkids can meet and run and do all those fun things. Yeah, it was a home that had been in the family for a while. It's a small little town. It was perfect for them. They no longer needed this big house. Or a home where they had preserved all of their son's things perfectly. (laughs) Exactly. They were ready. They were ready to pack it up and to move. And how exciting for them. I am so looking forward to that time in our lives. We can just do what we want to do. Enjoy time with the grandkids. It'll be a fun time. If there's any listeners out there that don't think that's what retirement is all about, don't tell us that. Yeah, we don't want to know. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) We're dreaming about it. That's right. We want to be retired and just be able to talk about murder and just continue our podcast. That's right. (laughs) None of those other side jobs that we have. Exactly. In the United States, people celebrate Thanksgiving on the third Thursday in November. Instead of on the second Monday in October, like us Canadians, our harvest time is just different. Mm -hmm. The Guy family had made plans to celebrate Thanksgiving on Thursday, November 24th in 2016. All the kids were planning on coming home to enjoy time together. Even Joel had agreed to make the nine-hour trip from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Knoxville, Tennessee to attend the dinner. And I'm just going to note that there was one report cited that the dinner was on the 23rd, that they had done it a day early. So that could be a possibility, but most of them said it was the 24th. So that's what I'm going with. The family didn't know it yet, but sadly, this would be the last time they would celebrate any holiday altogether. That is sad. One of Joel's sisters later said that during their get-together, Joel was giving away a lot of his belongings that were left in the house to his nieces and nephews. She thought this was weird since he rarely spent any time with them and never made an effort to get to know them even. Which was totally out of character for him because he's greedy. Yeah. Can you imagine his sister's thinking, finally, he's thinking about others, like he's trying to make a connection. Yeah, she would have thought this was a positive thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's actually a little bit more chipper this time and talking to my kids and giving them some of his items that he's never going to use again. Mm Mm-hmm. One of the sisters also reported to going outside for something and seeing two large Rubbermaid totes in her brother's back seat of his car, but didn't really think anything of it at the time. None of the sisters reported afterwards noticing any type of red flags or reason to be concerned about their baby brother or their parents' safety. Everything seemed normal. After the celebration, the three daughters and their families headed home, but Joel decided to stay and visit for a couple of days. Since he had driven nine hours to get there, no one would have suspected the real reason why he wanted to extend his visit. Mm, So he had pre-planned all this? Mm -hmm. Well, obviously with the totes in the back of the car. Yeah, it is definitely pre-planned and we'll give evidence as to why we know that for sure. Okay. And nobody would have thought it was weird if I drove nine hours to go visit my family. More than likely, you're going to spend a couple of nights. Yeah, you're not just going to go up for the day. Yeah. On Sunday, November 27th, at 3.30 in the afternoon, Joel was seen on security footage at Walmart in Knoxville purchasing first aid supplies, things like ointments and bandages. One of his hands was clearly seen in the video already wrapped up in bandages. He was also seen purchasing isopropyl alcohol and hydrogen peroxide. On the same day, Joel drove all the way back to Baton Rouge and had fairly severe injuries on his hands treated at the university student clinic. One of the worst cuts was to his left thumb. It went extremely deep. All very suspicious. Mm -hmm. So we're going to skip ahead now for a moment to the Monday after Thanksgiving. So we know he showed up for the dinner. They had the dinner. Sunday, he was seen on the Walmart security footage, and then he drove back to Baton Rouge. And now we're going to Monday. 
No one was concerned about the guys until Lisa didn't show up for work on November 28th, so on Monday morning. It wasn't in Lisa's character to not show up for her shift without explanation. Her fellow employees were rightfully concerned. When they couldn't get in touch with her, they called the police and asked them to perform a welfare check on Lisa and her husband. Isn't that always so odd? You always have like these sneaking suspicions or these wild ideas. I know I do at least, where somebody doesn't show up and you're like, oh, something bad must have happened. And you're always thinking in your head like, no, I'm just making all this up. And then to find out that it's actually true. I know. I was thinking that too, like for them to actually call the police right on Monday asking for a welfare check. I don't know if I would. It's obviously what is the right thing for them to do. But sometimes we second guess ourselves and think, no, they're fine. You know, maybe she's got a flat tire. She'll tell us, you know, tomorrow or she'll call later. Mm -hmm. I would have totally second guessed myself. Yeah. I probably would have had that initial reaction of, oh, something bad's happened. But then I wouldn't have followed through. And I would think, oh, maybe an emergency happened. They got into a car accident. Maybe her husband had a heart attack and she didn't think to call in. You know, I would be thinking more reasonable things. Yeah, not murder. Not murder. Mm -hmm. No. But thank goodness they did call the police and asked for a welfare check, which the police obliged. No one could have prepared the police for what they were about to find. Those welfare checks are, they're necessary, but I don't know how the police go to them time after time. I know. Knox County Sheriff's Office, Detective Jeremy McCord, said about what they discovered in the guy's home that it was, quote, the most horrific thing I've ever encountered in police work in my life. There is video footage of the police inspecting the home of Lisa and Joel Sr., and what they found was beyond disturbing. So this is where I was going to put in my little warning that I am about to share a lot of detail about the crime scene and murders for this case. I'll start by describing parts of the videos. There is one video of the body cams while the officers are walking through, and then there is one where the forensic expert walks through and narrates to the jury an explanation of the crime scene during the court. For this one, you can watch a split screen. One side is of the crime scene, and the other is of Joel sitting in the court while the footage is being played. And he sits there almost showing no emotion. He casually scratches his nose, takes a drink of water, writes stuff down, and stares blank-faced with sinister-looking, bulging eyes. He has this terrifying, psychotic look. I'll post a picture on our social media of the look I'm describing that he often is shown having throughout the trial and the investigation. And he showed no emotion at all? None. It always floors me when they can pull that off. Yeah, he just sat there with no emotion, these big eyes staring up at the screen. It was like he was in a lecture hall at university. Meanwhile, they're showing the evidence of his crime, brutally murdering his parents. Yeah, his handiwork is being showcased. And he's not even squirming in his chair. He's not having to look away. He's not covering his face. He's not looking distressed in the least bit. Which just goes to show you how removed he is from any human emotion. Yeah. He's been locked up in the basement playing video games for too long. Yeah, it's really terrifying to me. So much so that I had to show Melissa a picture of him. Like, you have to see these bulging eyes because they are going to haunt me. So she, now she wants them to haunt me too. <laughs> That's right. Am I going to be haunted? You're my partner in crime. You have to be haunted too, hun. <laughs> Thanks for that. You're welcome. The one that has nightmares <laughs> and is scared of everything. Who is doing a murder podcast with me? <laughs> you knew what you were getting into. <laughs> Officers entered the guy's home through the garage. One of the cars parked outside was unlocked, and they used the garage opener from inside the car to open the garage. As they entered, they could immediately feel heat emanating from the house and could smell a super strong scent of chemicals mixed with the stench of death, which is never a good sign. No. Reportedly, some of the staff who had to go through the home later were unable to physically stomach the smell. The smell of chemicals mixed with the smell of blood is just so disturbing and wrong. It just... Turns your gut. Yeah, I can't imagine that vile smell. As they entered the home through the garage, they walked into the kitchen eating area. Immediately, there were visible bottles of cleaning supplies like bleach, garbage bags, and baking soda sitting on the floor. The kitchen table is to the left of the bottles, and amongst other items on top of the table, you can see a hammer and a man and woman's wallet just sitting there side by side. There's the purse, but the wallet has been removed from the purse and the two wallets are just sitting beside each other on the table. I'm guessing with no credit cards or money left in them. Exactly. The main floor of the house kind of makes a loop. 
So all the rooms are connected. You know, you kind of have that central piece in the center and then you can walk around. So I'm going to describe what it looked like as they're walking around this loop. So if we start at the table area and go to our right, we go into the kitchen. And then from the kitchen, there's a little formal dining area, which leads to the entrance where the main door is. And then from there, you offshoot to the living room and then back to the table area. So you just make this big circle. Okay. And is it the staircase top stairs is kind of in the middle of the house? The staircase is by the entrance. Okay. Plus there's an offshoot of a half bathroom and an office as well off of those rooms. Okay. I can picture that layout. Yeah. It might sound confusing, but I am going to kind of walk you through it. But I thought I'd just kind of give you an idea. As they walk through the kitchen on the right, you can see a giant size stock pot sitting on top of the stove. Police said the burner was turned on and whatever was in the pot was still simmering. Ew. We're going to come back to all of this evidence, but I just want to explain it first. They continue through the kitchen into the formal dining room. There are multiple guns sitting out on the table. It was later discovered that they were there just for backup. From the formal dining room, they walk into the house's main entrance or foyer. You can see bags of groceries strewn about just inside the front door. The bag still contains certain items that should have been placed in the fridge, but were instead laying on the floor to spoil. Amongst these items were things like bacon, sausage, and ice cream. So the groceries had never been put away. There are enough groceries on the floor indicating that it would have taken at least two trips to get them inside the house. Because there was like some cases of beer and Mm -hmm. things where they couldn't have carried that in all at once. There is a thermostat in the entrance that is set at 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's 32 degrees Celsius. From the entrance, they walk into the living room area. There is a back door that is missing a doorknob. Later, they discovered that the back knob had been installed on the front door, possibly to hide evidence. What? Because you have to remember, he got lazy and left before he had finished, so he's not quite done cleaning up his crime scene. That's an interesting thought process for him. It's very odd. Like, you can see just the hole there, the sun shining in through it. Where he took the knob off, put it on the front door. Right. As they go upstairs, they start to notice some reddish-brown staining on the carpet. Forensics use the term reddish-brown staining, or RBS, to describe anything that they suspect is blood before it is tested. Mm -hmm. It did not take long for police to discover large amounts of blood everywhere. Down the hallway, on the walls, all over the floor. At the small landing at the top of the stairs, there is a large amount of RBS, blood-soaked clothing, scissors and buckets of chemicals because the dirtbag had never learned to clean because he was so entitled and taken care of yeah from the landing they show the master bedroom with a large heater turned on full blast and blowing there is a bunch of random items strewn about the middle of the floor amongst them are odd tools and cleaning supplies but what i found really weird is there was even a few stuffed animals on the floor there maybe left over from the grandkids visiting maybe And so with all the heat being on, is he trying to change their body temperatures for time of death? He is. And we're going to talk about that. As you walk into the ensuite, you can see plastic sheeting laid over the entire floor. On the plastic sheets are the two large blue Rubbermaid totes that Joel's sister had presumably seen a few days earlier in the back seat of his car. There is a shower as soon as you enter that has a black garden hose attached to it instead of the regular spout. There is a bloody knife sitting in the sink and rubber gloves sitting on the counter. As they approach the totes, they discover a liquid-like sludge with pieces of human remains inside. The totes were so full, they were bulging at the sides. On the body cam police video, you can see the police officer enter and identify themselves. They've got their guns drawn, they're yelling, we're here for a welfare check. When they go upstairs, they look inside the exercise room where there were large amounts of RBS, or that reddish-brown staining, all over the room. There are large pools of it on the floor and smears of it all up the walls. It looks like a rowing machine is tipped over on its side. There are knives and clothing on the floor, and then suddenly you can hear one of the officers scream out when he notices two severed hands just laying there on the floor. (sighs) During the police cam video, you can hear Lisa and Joel Sr.'s dog yelping in a closed room. He had been left in a room to fend for himself. But someone ends up taking the dog. The dog is fine. I cannot even imagine how horrific finding this scene would have been for the officers that were called to perform a welfare check on the guys' home. We'll come back to some of these details as I explain to you what transpired over the holiday weekend. 
that should have been filled with love and gratitude. Oh, it sounds like a massacre in there. Yeah. So let's go back now to the start of Thanksgiving weekend and hopefully fill in some of these pieces. The dinner and celebration went totally fine. Joel's sisters did not notice any type of angst coming from their little brother. Joel normally didn't interact with the family too much, but he made it through the festivities and had even given his nephew and nieces more attention than usual. With his parents selling the house and planning to retire, I assume there would have been a lot of talk about the parents starting their new chapter in life. I bet they even discussed having Christmas in the new house. During the entire interaction with his family, Joel knew that his parents would not be alive to celebrate Christmas. He had a plan, a plan he would unfortunately carry out. That's super disturbing. It is. And how he could keep up that facade of just, yeah, we're going to be there at Christmas and you guys are starting on this new chapter of your life and taking part in those conversations when all the time he had these ulterior motives. Yeah. And there would have been excitement and everyone would have been discussing it in probably a positive way. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he was like secretly being like, he he he, I guess you're not going to be doing that. Or would he even have that much emotion? Because honestly, he sounds like a emotionless dirtbag. Yeah, he has the personality of a cardboard box. Mm -hmm. That's what it sounds like. Mm -hmm. And as a mother, I cannot even fathom like cutting my child a Thanksgiving Day piece of pumpkin pie to eat, not realizing that while I was serving them that piece of pie, they were planning out a vicious and deadly attack on myself and my husband. No, you would never think of that. No, it's so eerie to think about later. Because he wasn't even being all disgruntled and arguing. He was being really great during this dinner celebration. Could you imagine? I think any mother would be like, oh, finally, we're turning a corner. Things are getting better. Look, he's interacting with us. Yeah, we're going to get on the right track. He's not that upset about having to support himself. He's finally going to get on his own two feet. It's going to be okay. I couldn't imagine as a mother. No, I can't imagine being murdered. But to be murdered at the hand of your child, I don't know if there's anything worse. It's just wrong. Originally, Lisa and Joel Sr. were going to wait to tell their son that they were cutting him off financially and that he would have to finally put on his big boy panties and get a job for the first time in his life. It's not known exactly when he found out, but he was well aware of what was to come. My guess is probably when they listed the house. But he did know for sure that they were cutting him off. He did know. He knew prior to coming for Thanksgiving that they were going to be cutting him off. I just don't know the exact time that they told him. Right. And it would be big boy briefs? Nope. I put him big boy panties (laughs) and I'm leaving it in there. I was going to say big boy pants. and I'm like, no, he gets panties. (laughs) That was not a typo. That was purposefully. Okay. Joel had grown accustomed to the freeloading lifestyle and had no intentions of earning the things that he enjoyed in his life. Joel knew that his mother had a life insurance policy for $500,000. He also knew that if his father was alive, he would have to split it with him. His other sisters. I think it was just between him and his dad for this. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because the sisters would have also right. got from their biological mom. like So yeah, Joel so I... Seniors would have went to all of them. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Okay. He knew that if both of his parents were deceased, or if his mom was dead and his dad was a missing suspect, he would get the cool half a million dollars all to himself. He's going to try and frame his dad? Mm-hmm. At the beginning. But he didn't follow through on his plan. No. Because he's lazy. Exactly. Mind you, what he does is quite elaborate and would have taken a lot of strength. Would have been easier to get a job, Joel. Just saying. But jobs are so long term, Christy. I guess. Instead of bringing green bean casserole with him to dinner, Joel instead brought with him items to assist in killing his loving parents and items to help him get rid of the bodies. So he had totally planned this out. He had. Lisa and Joel Sr. must have been excited to have their son say that he was going to spend a few extra days at the house with them. Dinner was on Thursday. He spent all day Friday with them. And then the next day on Saturday, November 26th, he decided it was time to strike. I don't know if he was trying to get up the nerve or just waiting for the right opportunity. My guess is waiting for the opportunity. That's what I'm thinking. Because he seems very cold and calculating. Mm-hmm. Well, in his opportunity, he did get... Lisa went out to grab a few items at the grocery store. She was seen on Walmart surveillance video at 12.15 p.m. Joel took this opportunity to begin his diabolical plan. He must have felt it would be easier to overpower them one at a time. Joel Sr. was upstairs in their exercise room. Because how many of us do hit the gym after a couple of days of nonstop holiday eating? So true. (laughs) While he was using the rowing machine, his only son came up behind him and started viciously stabbing. 
Joel stabbed his father a total of 42 times, injuring his lungs, liver, and kidneys. That's some hatred. That is. Especially when he had access to guns. Like, you think it would be so much easier just to shoot him from behind. No, he wanted to stab them. And we find evidence of this. And we know for sure that the guns were just for backup. Huh. In case things went awry and he needed them. And that is, anytime there's a stabbing, that is up close and personal. There is mm-hmm. a lot of rage going on in there. 42 times? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of rage. Yeah, people don't even realize the physical strength it takes to stab someone 42 times. He would have been exhausted afterwards. Yeah, because he's only used to playing video games all day. Mm-hmm. Looking at the crime scene photos of the exercise room, it was clear that Joel Sr. had fought extensively for his life. During this struggle is when Joel sustained the multiple cuts to his own hands. I couldn't even imagine that struggle against your own child to save your own life. Yeah, because you wouldn't want to hurt them either. Do you think so? Do you think it would go past that instinct to protect them to preserve your own life? I think it would. I don't know. I don't know what would go through your mind. You'd be so taken aback. He's sitting there just working out. You know, Lisa's gone to the grocery store. They probably were planning what they were going to have for dinner that night because she's gone to go get a few things. Yeah, I think adrenaline would take over and self-preservation. I don't know what would go through your mind. Because I would think, yeah, you'd be okay with injuring your child to get them off you. But would you actually even want to kill them? Probably not. No, but you would definitely defend yourself. Oh, yes. Definitely you would defend yourself. Mm -hmm. And the one cut looks like it almost went through his thumb. It was really deep. But in a mad flurry of 42 stab wounds, who's to say he didn't cut his own thumb? That's true. Right? That often happens with a stabbing. Your Mm -hmm. hand will slip down the edge of the knife. And you have so much adrenaline running through your body, you're not really aware of where your limbs are. Yeah. And it was not a fair fight either. He came up behind him and started stabbing him in the back. So how many stabs did he get in before his dad could even turn around to start defending himself? This is crazy. And just imagine the shock when he turned around and saw that it was his son who was attacking him. Mm -hmm. He probably would have thought someone had broken into the house. Yeah, that's betrayal. He might have even called out for his son to come help him. Oh, that would be an eerie thought. Yeah. So terrible. When Lisa came back from grocery shopping, her monster of a son turned his sights on her. Joel stabbed Lisa a total of 31 times, severing nine of her ribs. What? Totally severing them. The piles of groceries that I described earlier suggested that Lisa was ambushed by her son as soon as she returned home. And what is believed to have actually happened that as soon as Joel's mom came into the house with her groceries on that second trip, he hollered down to her and was like, Mom, Mom, come quick. Come upstairs. Something's happened to Dad. And so out of worry for her husband, thinking maybe an accident, maybe he's had a heart attack or something, she runs up the stairs and is greeted by Joel, ready to kill her. And this theory is supported by the evidence of not having a bunch of blood there at the groceries when she first walked in the door. The blood was upstairs in the exercise room. And what went through their minds? They must have been so shocked and confused as to what was happening. After brutally stabbing both of his parents to death, Joel began the second part of his sadistic evil plan. First, he went to Walmart to purchase the first aid supplies that he was seen on the surveillance video purchasing. There wasn't any in the house. I think those are pretty standard first aid kit things. Yeah. And are you even thinking clearly at that point? No, probably not. With spending nine years pursuing a medical career, you'd think at least by then he would have known how to stitch his own hand up. That's what I was thinking, too. Like, didn't you get any knowledge at your university experience? (laughs) That is odd. Yeah. He also took the bank and credit cards from his parents' wallets and took out as much money as he could. He attempted to use their credit cards to pay some of his bills. Apparently, he had attempted to pay months of rent in advance. I wonder if he paid for his medical supplies with their credit cards. Probably. At the store. Oh, man. And he had bought a few more supplies for cleaning up while he was there, too. Joel started to dismember the lifeless bodies of his parents. He cut off his father's hands at the wrists. These are the hands that the officer found just laying on the floor in the workout room. He removed both of his father's arms and legs completely. He had also severed his father's right foot from his leg. The arms were removed right at the shoulder blade and the legs were removed right at the hips. Joel removed both of his mother's arms at the shoulders and both of her legs from below the knee. However, he also removed her head. And he didn't just cut her head off, but snapped the topmost vertebrae of her spine by force. What? Mm -hmm. Why does he hate them so much? Because they were cutting them off. 
But that's hardly a reason to hate that much. Yeah. Like I could understand if they had severely abused him all his life and he just had this rage towards them. But oh my goodness, over a little bit of money? Yeah. You're 28, go get a job. Exactly. But he didn't think that was fair. Why all the violence of the way he kills them and the way he treats their bodies? I know. I can't even imagine. Like that just speaks to so much rage. Mm-hmm. And then for him to not show any emotion too, like he has all this rage, but then sits there blank faced. Yeah, that is so bizarre. It is. Joel placed each of his parents' bodies in their own Rubbermaid tote and filled the totes with acid. He was wanting to dissolve as much of their flesh as possible. Before placing their torsos in the bins, he inflicted a large cut in their torsos so that the bodies could absorb the chemicals more quickly. And remember that large stock pot that I told you was simmering on the stove when the police entered for the welfare check? Oh, that's gotta be his loving mother's head. It was. Joel had placed his mother's head in the pot and had been boiling it for over a day. Again, why more rage against his mom, who actually was defending him more often than not? Yeah. Like, you think that would have been towards his dad, whose idea it was to cut him off. Yeah, who was wanting to do it even earlier. Mm -hmm. But maybe he felt betrayed because she finally gave in to her husband instead of him. Maybe. And I had read in some accounts that there was acid in that pot as well while he was boiling it. That poor woman. Joel made an attempt to clean up the crime scene, but quickly realized how much work it was. He thought he could break down as much DNA as possible by turning up the heat and blasting heaters in the home. The heat did speed up the decomposition. One of the officers who first entered the scene later said, quote, I will never get those smells out of my head or my dreams. No, and smells one of those lasting memories. Lifelong sentence of PTSD for that officer. Absolutely. For a lot of the people that were involved in this case. I think because getting rid of two bodies was so much more work than the lazy rotten Joel had bargained for, he just cranked up the heat, left the pot simmering, and drove home to help establish his alibi. My guess is that he was planning to go back later after everything had liquefied even more. Some people also believe that the severe cuts to his hands made it especially hard to clean up the gory scene, and he went home to wait for his hands to heal before returning to finish the job. That would hurt using acid on fresh cuts. Oh yeah, I can't imagine. But good. I hope it hurt. Yeah. (laughs) Regardless of why he left halfway through the cleanup, prosecutors described the scene later as a diabolical stew of human remains. You know what it makes me think of? The Naganya from your cult case that you covered. Yeah, from the narco-Satanists. Yeah, I just cannot even imagine how someone can do this to a human body, especially someone that you love. These are your parents. Yeah, that is bizarre. Takes a special kind of evil to do something like this. Because so many dangerous chemicals were used in the crime, the Knox County Sheriff's Office had to call in a hazmat team to help process the crime scene, which took all day, night, and part of the next day. I also want to point out that Joel spent the night in the house with his deceased, dissolving parents before leaving for home on Sunday. And before he left, he scheduled his mother's phone to send him a text message later while he was in Louisiana to try and prove that they were still alive after he returned home. He had thought this through a little bit. He really had. At first, Joel was not a suspect in the murder of his parents at all. That was until they found the most damning evidence I think ever found at a crime scene. Joel had left his backpack at his parents' house. Inside his backpack, in the room that he had been staying in, was a book, How to Kill Your Parents. Yes! What? Honestly! (laughs) No way! Police discovered a notebook. Inside this notebook, Joel had written out an elaborate plan to kill his parents and how to get away with it. He had nine years of note-taking. Yeah, this does really remind me of what he would have done in school. Mm -hmm. This notebook was referred to as the Book of Premeditation during the trial. His notes are five full pages long, so I won't read all of it, but I'll share with you some of what he wrote. That's so disturbing. Mm -hmm. But honestly, dumbest (laughs) dirtbag. But we have to remember he wasn't finished. He was planning on coming back. So he just kind of left it. I'm going to go home get my hands stitched up, people can see me that I'm here, and then I'll go back and finish. How did he not anticipate that his parents were going to be missed? Yeah. Like, your mom is working to pay your bills, honey. They're going to notice when she doesn't show up at work. So smart, but so dumb. Yeah, and thankfully, he was dumb. Joel had written out lists of things he needed to perform the murders. He said things like, quote, 
Get killing knives. Quiet. Multiple. To make small pieces. Kill him with knife. Clean up mess before she gets home. Kill her with knife. So this was all just kind of in like bullet points. I watched a video of a psychologist analyzing this case, and he noted that it was very odd that Joel referred to the knives as killing knives. He said it was comparable to someone saying in a DUI case to first purchase drunk driving alcohol. So it was very odd that he had called them killing knives instead of just get knives. Was he inferring that he totally knew that this was wrong because he was already labeling it as something that was wrong? He didn't really elaborate too much, but just said this was very odd behavior for someone to write killing knives. It was almost as if he didn't want to get in the middle of the act and find himself accidentally holding a butter knife. Like he had to specify, I need killing knives. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Very odd. Joel also referred to the spots where he killed them as her killing room and his killing room. So he had even planned out where he was going to kill them. Not necessarily, but when he was talking about the cleanup, he wrote, quote, does not matter where they're killed, just get rid of bloody spots to prevent evidence of time of death. And then in brackets, he wrote, not the mattress or couches. He also said, get plastic sheeting for disposal process. <sighs> Along with the knives, Joel wrote, quote, get sledgehammer, crush bones, bring blender and food grinder, grind meat. Oh, Christy. I know. I told you this was a bad one. He also wrote, quote, flush chunks down toilet, not garbage disposal. Bring bleach, denature proteins. Get plastic bin for denaturation process. He wrote out his plan to placing the body parts in chemicals and to, quote, turn heater as high as it goes to speed decomposition. Turn heaters up to 90 degrees to melt fingerprints and dry everything. He indicated that the bodies dissolving in acid would make it harder to determine time of death which would help him establish an alibi. There was a section of his notes titled Assets. Under this, he wrote about hiding his father's body to collect the insurance money. He wrote, quote, Money is all mine. I get the whole thing. He also wrote, quote, He's not alive to claim her half of the insurance money. All mine, $500,000. With him missing or dead, I get the whole thing. What a dirtbag. And it just sounds so juvenile. Money is all mine. I get the whole thing. Yeah, I have to keep reminding myself that this is a 28-year-old doing these things, not a 14-year-old. Yeah, this is a 28-year-old man. So his motive for murdering his parents was clearly money and maybe revenge for getting cut off. How could you put a dollar value on their lives? That is so wild. Joel also made notes on trying to frame his father for his mother's murder. He wrote, quote, cut off his arm, and plant flesh under his fingernails. He also said, quote, use sodium hydroxide to destroy his soft tissue and soften bones for transport. Based once every hour to accelerate. I know why he was planting tissue underneath his dad's fingernails to make it look like he murdered his wife. But then where was he expecting this to be found? I know. I thought that exact same sentiment. That doesn't work out. <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense at all. But this is what he was thinking at the time. And he doesn't follow everything to the T. I think these are just he's brainstorming. These are the things that he's planning. But I also think maybe at the beginning he was planning on just hiding the father's body. And I'm not sure why he decided to dismember and do all those things to him as well. Because he went to town stabbing him. Uh-huh. That's what I mean. It's just a special kind of evil to actually want to do this to their bodies. And that's the rage that I don't understand. And even to write things like based every hour to accelerate, there's just no emotion in there. That's just methodical though, right? Right. It just makes him seem more like a robot. Yep. He continued to say, quote, he needs to be blamed, not intruder. One of the main reasons Joel had removed his father's hands, though, was that he could plant his father's fingerprints on incriminating items. So he was just going to walk around with the hands and put it on all the different knives and doorknobs and that kind of stuff. But it's a severed hand. I know. But if you're finding a fingerprint on a knife, you're not going to know it's from a severed hand. Right, but you're still finding his severed hand. Unless, I guess he was planning on getting rid of the whole body. I think so. And then the severed hands would have never been found. Right. He was not very smart about how he went about this. No. And thank goodness, because mm -hmm. we're glad he got caught. About getting rid of the bodies, he wrote about pouring bleach on the bodies and putting his mom in the shower under running hot water. He also wrote about dousing the entire house with bleach. I won't read more of his notes, but I'm sure by now you get the idea. 
My thought with this was that he was almost making notes like he would have in school before carrying out some type of project. It is shocking how he could make these lists with no emotional connection. And when he wrote something like grind meat, he was talking about the two people who gave him life, supported him and helped him in every aspect of his day-to-day dealings. Well, they're just dollar signs to him. Yeah, I just don't get it. After finding this book of premeditation, police acted quickly and the FBI New Orleans Division arrested Joel in his apartment parking lot in Baton Rouge on Tuesday, November 29th at approximately 3.45 p.m., the day after the welfare check. Joel had tried to flee his car, but police were able to stop him. That's within 24 hours. That's pretty impressive. It was. But what a goldmine to land on this backpack with this written out. It would obviously put you to the very top of the suspect list. (laughs) And he isn't even trying to hide. Like, he's hanging out at his apartment. Well, he's trying to establish an alibi. This is a total wrench in his plan. This was not in his little book of premeditation. There was no time frame as to, I need to have this done by this and this. He thought he was going to get away with it. He thought, I'm so smart. I'm just going to pull this all off and look how much planning I've done. It's going to go off without a hitch. Not thinking he was going to get caught in the middle of it. So crazy. Because Joel had crossed states, his arrest was orchestrated by the FBI New Orleans Division, the East Baton Rouge Sheriff's Office, and the Knox County Sheriff's Office. He was first detained in Baton Rouge, but was then extradited to Knox County. When police inspected the car, they found a jerry can for gas and a meat grinder in the trunk. So he was going to bring that back to his family's home with him. Yeah, and then set the house on fire. After using the meat grinder. Police could also clearly see deep cuts on both of Joel's hands, along with bruising. There was zero doubt that this double homicide was premeditated. Police were later able to find proof of Joel purchasing items he needed to carry out his vile plan weeks before he did it. He purchased many knives, the containers, different chemicals, and plastic sheeting. On November 7th, he purchased muriatic acid, Clorox wipes, and food-grade hydrogen peroxide. All with his parents' money. Exactly. Which just makes it worse. Mm -hmm. It's just insult to injury, isn't it? On November 18th, he purchased extension cords and a timer from Home Depot. The timer was believed to be purchased in his plan to create a fire in the house after the bodies had finished dissolving. Joel also bought a bleach sprayer and a marine-style knife. One disturbing part to me was that he waited until he was in Knoxville to buy the containers that he later placed Lisa and Joel Sr.'s bodies in. Yeah, because I don't want to have to carry those around too much. They're big. And they're going to take up space in my car. Yeah. And I question, how do you continue to buy all these things and your brain doesn't ever tell you that what you're doing is wrong? My guess is that he was just so spoiled rotten to his core and so lazy that he likely felt his parents deserved it for cutting him off. He totally did. Yeah. What a loser. Entitlement. Exactly. It's not good. It's not. And entitlement is different than standing up for yourself. Entitlement is not good. So the first video that they were able to see him purchasing stuff was November 7th. So that's like three weeks before the murders. Joel was charged with the murders of both of his parents. He pled not guilty and did not go for the insanity plea. His trial started near the end of September of 2020. It was during the first year of COVID, and so you can see Joel wearing a face shield during most of the trial. During the trial, the jury had to see all the gruesome crime scene photos, as well as view that 30-minute video of the crime scene explained by Sandy Campbell of the Knox County Sheriff's Office. It was parts of that video that I described to you earlier. I would have had a hard time as a jury member watching that evidence and then watching his reaction to it and not already forming an opinion that he was totally guilty. For sure. And in the judge's statements later, that totally rubbed the judge the wrong way too. An expert testified that it would have taken substantial time and effort to dismember two bodies the way that Joel did. It was reported that Joel was seen yawning and even smirking while details were being given to the court. The defense tried to argue that because no fingerprints were found on the notebook, that maybe the book did not belong to Joel. Even though it was found in his backpack and the handwriting was analyzed as a match to Joel's. I honestly think that they knew that Joel was guilty, and how would you ever be able to prove otherwise? They reportedly had submitted zero evidence to support his innocent plea, because quite frankly, there wasn't any. Yeah, and that just seems so childish, like, oh, it wasn't mine. Mm -hmm. Somebody else put it there. Exactly. I'm holding it for a friend. Yeah. 
prosecutors were able to prove that the motive for the murder was for financial gain. Allegedly, he continued to try and claim the insurance money even after getting arrested. What? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, that again makes no sense. He knew his father wouldn't be able to collect the insurance money had he been implicated in his mother's death. But yet now he's implicated in his mother's death and he's trying to claim the insurance money. But he's claiming innocence. So before he gets convicted, he's like, I better get this money. That's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Joel's sisters testified during the court that their parents were going to be cutting Joel off financially that coming Christmas after the murders. During his trial, Joel asked the courts that if he was found guilty to please give him the death penalty instead of life in prison. But he also made a note that this is not an admission of guilt. Just if I'm found guilty, I want to be put to death. <laughs> and my guess is that he was just too lazy to want to do prison. But I do always find it interesting how some murderers asked to be executed like in this case. But in other cases, like Lisa Montgomery, who I just covered, fought to try and get her death penalty overturned. I thought, what would you want? Uh, I think I'd go with life sentence. Yeah, I think I would too. <laughs> but at the same time, that might be a worse penalty than death. Maybe, but there would always be the hope that maybe I could get it overturned. That's true. And so I don't know if I would give up that hope so readily. Yeah, and I think he was just like, Mah, this is going to be too much work. I don't want to be in prison, so I want the death penalty. I can't live without my video games. Yeah. The prosecution did not seek the death penalty, and I wondered if it was because they knew that that's what he wanted. Joel's trial only took four days. I think it goes without saying that Joel was found guilty. On October 2nd of 2020, he was found guilty of two counts of premeditated first-degree murder, three counts of felony murder, and two counts of abuse to a corpse. Again, he just sat there, blank-faced, while the verdict was read. The now 32-year-old Joel was sentenced to five life sentences with the chance of parole after 51 years. However, he was sentenced to serve his life sentences consecutively, so there is no way he will ever be released unless he lived to be hundreds of years old. And rightfully so. About his sentencing, the district attorney general said she was pleased. She said, quote, My office asked for and obtained consecutive sentences to ensure the defendant would never be released from prison. I hope that the citizens of this community feel safe knowing this offender is off our streets forever. And I hope that the sentence imposed today provides some measure of closure for the family that has been torn apart by these horrific acts. During the sentencing hearing, Judge Sword said that Joel Guy Jr. was, quote, sick and depraved, and that a sentencing of 300 years wouldn't be sufficient. The judge continued to say, quote, I don't see potential for rehabilitation of Mr. Guy. I was watching him during the trial. He showed absolutely no remorse or despair over seeing what he had done. He also said that Joel's crimes were pure evil overkill. He said it was the, quote, most extreme abuse of a corpse I've seen in 25 years, and I hope it's the most serious that I'll see in my career. Yeah, you would never want to see something like that again. Mm -mm. So it even irked the judge that he just sat there emotionless. Joel is currently serving his sentence at the Northwest Correctional Complex in Tiptonville, Tennessee. Unsurprisingly, being the spoiled brat that he is, Joel has already caused commotion in prison. <laughs> Soon after being convicted, Joel wrote a letter stating that he wanted to hurt the inmate that he had to share a cell with. In the letter, he said he was thinking of gouging out the other man's eyes while he slept. He said that there would be nothing that they could do to stop him and that he could do it quite easily with his hands. He said, quote, I shouldn't be allowed access to another person while they are unconscious. That's his attempt to get a room all to himself. Yes. And Aww. so the officials did not fall for his act. They believed that he was just trying to manipulate them into getting his own cell. And so far, his cellmate has been perfectly safe sharing a cell with Joel. They should put him in with the biggest, baddest, scariest guy. Yeah, they absolutely should. Mm -hmm. To end, I want to share some statements from Joel's remaining family members. His sisters have said that they are unable to forgive him and left him out of their parents' obituaries. One of the sisters said, quote, I rest easy knowing that God is okay with my choice not to forgive someone who murdered my parents. Another sister apologized to everyone involved in the case for having to see all the horrific things inside her parents' house. She said, quote, I am very sorry that this evil had to come into their life too. Joel's nephew gave a victim statement that read, quote, After the day that my papa died, 
that I looked up to like a dad, I knew that life would never be the same, that you can't even trust your own family, that you have to watch your back with everyone around you. That's disturbing from a child. So sad. And the last thing I'll leave you with is a statement from one of the sisters about their parents, Lisa and Joel Sr. She said they were wonderful people who loved her half-brother. She said, quote, they were larger than life. They were so happy and such really good people. And that is the story of the sick and demented dirtbag who was so unbelievably lazy and spoiled rotten to his very core that he brutally murdered and mutilated his own parents instead of acting like an adult and getting a job. The worm of a man, Joel Guy Jr. What a dirtbag. Mm-hmm. And I know we've said this before, but I always find it so interesting that when we talk about victims, when their lives are cut short... They always talk about how they were larger in life. They live life to the fullest. And it always makes me wonder, did they know? Did they somehow know that they just had to pack everything in that they could? Maybe subconsciously. Yeah. I never really thought of that. But it's true. We hear that a lot. And thankfully they did. Mm -hmm. Because they should not have been cut short at 55 and 61. They had a lot of beautiful years ahead of them. Their best years. Yeah. Yeah. That's sad. What an ungrateful little turd. You're right. He is a turd. I don't know a better word for him. Like dirtbag is just not enough. No. After his parents so lovingly took care of him and all because he didn't want to get a job, he did horrific things to them. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it was his entitlement that spurred on that rage because he felt entitled. He felt he deserved it. And so he was getting his revenge. That's why it's so important to always take the time to be grateful for the things that you have. And no matter what situation you are in, there is always something to be grateful for. Absolutely. So listeners, we hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving celebration. Enjoy your families. And again, we are very grateful for you. Until next week. See ya. Bye. After two hours of talking, we're now going to get started. I know. And we got together <laughs> earlier because we got things to do. People to see. <laughs> All right, dude, let's go. <laughs> well, apparently Melissa's not cool enough for me to use the word gnarly. <laughs> gnarly is fine. Sir Goinsville. <laughs> it's not even shutting off. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> That was amazing. (laughs) Your phone's possessed, I think. (laughs) It's an airplane. (laughs) That's the first time we've had to wait for an airplane. We got planes, trains, and automobiles. (laughs) That's right. Living on the edge. (laughs) We're in a weird mood today, you guys. (laughs) Okay, now I better take that out. (laughs) Scratch all that. Blame it on our weird mood. We are in a weird mood, aren't we? Does mm-hmm. it feel weird? Whose ringtone is that? That's mine. I know, but oh, but oh. for who? No kidding, it's yours. <laughs> <laughs> Whose ringtone is coming from your phone? I love me some RuPaul. Every time you say the guy's house, I'm like, but there's a girl too, Christy. I know. <laughs> Total of 31 nights. 31 nine times. <laughs> 31 nine. The Nagang. The Nagunga. The Nagunga. Oh my goodness. I know how to say it. Hold on. Obviously, again, he had never watched CSI. And the handwriting was analyzed. Analyzed. Let me try this again. Analyzed. Yep. Analyzed. I can just create new words. <laughs> Neologisms. <laughs> he is a stinky turd. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Jeff Wood. 
kids, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.